Well, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank? Did you know that the morning of the Columbine Massacre, the kids went bowling? Or maybe they didn't. I think that's a disputed fact. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome once again to Michael and Us, a depressing, nostalgic journey through the life and art of Michael Moore. Once again, I'm Will Sloan. And I'm Luke Savage. Hey, guys. Uh, So we're halfway through. uh, Well, first of all, before we talk about the movie, like we just have been torn away to record this from the Republican National Convention. It's going on as we speak. We're doing this on Monday night. So, I mean, God knows what delights will have will have come in the days (laughs) after. But we saw Scott Baio. uh, We saw Rick Perry. We saw the lone survivor. We saw two Benghazi guys. Yeah. You know, I'm a longtime fan of the Republican National (laughs) Convention. I love it a lot more than the Democrat one. And this one... It's better TV. This one, I think, is... Like, I'm throwing down my chips now. I think this is the best one yet. I think it's got that kind of uh, Las Vegas fascist aesthetic. (laughs) So I agree with that, although so far I'm kind of bored just from the couple hours we've watched. Like, um, it's just the... So far it's just this pastiche of, like, these tired right-wing cliches and i thought the whole point of like the trump phenomenon is that we're gonna get like some really crazy stuff i mean there is some really there are some things that are really weird like i guess we're militarizing firefighters now there's uh-huh. like firefighters with like these shimmering axes that are like these phalanxes of them like flanking the stage there's lots of that kind of stuff but well, it's just the actual speeches so far are just kind of like well we had a we had normal a normal chest pounding we had a benghazi mother who said hillary for prison right which i, I guess that's i pretty... didn't necessarily expect to hear at a convention and i think it's just interesting that like you know even kind of at the height of discontent over the iraq war you never had anybody at the dnc say bush is a war criminal right and and as i said when you when you brought that point up before i think the the reason for that is because for some reason, well, all the pressure in the Republican Party now for like 30 years has been to the right. And party elites, even if they're uncomfortable with populism of their own base, whether it's the populism of the Christian right uh, or the really utopian, you know, neocons, I guess they're not populist, but they're a, you know, they're a, they're a faction. Uh, you know, all these factions push their agendas and they've successfully pushed the Republican Party, you know, further and further to the right. The Democrats, all they do is get more cautious. And and, and unlike uh, the Republicans, when there's a populist challenger, whether it's like a, you know, a Jesse Jackson or a, you know, Bernie Sanders, they, uh, they don't have like the same nervous detente with it that Republican elites had with their with their base until of course trump like steamrolled it all their instinct is like to just crush it and like suppress it and that's why as a result the democratic convention is more boring tv drops mic so yeah i'm for trump uh moving on uh we're halfway through now um our three-week voyage into the uh anti-michael moore documentaries that emerged in the immediate Boy, we're really in the weeds now folks uh the immediate aftermath of fair night 9-11 last week of course we talked about the great film fair and hype 9-11 this week uh we're talking about the kinder gentler fair and hype 9-11 a better film i I might go so far well, as to say, sure. I mean, it's a piece of shit yeah. too, but <laughs> it's I, a turd. I really had a good time with this one. Yeah, it's, me too. It's called Michael Moore hates America. Michael Moore had pissed me off. 
It wasn't his infamous Academy Awards speech. I mean, everyone has the liberty to bitch about politics. It's our right as Americans, and dissent is what makes us a great nation. But this guy had painted a picture of my country as a place where no one can succeed. Where some dark, shadowy figure was deep below ground, running his multinational corporation, keeping you from living your American dream. And he told people around the world that we were stupid. And he told the Australians that the last place they should try to be like is America. Yep, the worst thing you could do to become like America. And he was always talking about how great Canada is. What is the Canadian ethic? The Canadian ethic is we're all in the same boat. We're all Canadians. And, and we don't have that ethic in America. Our ethic is it's, it's every man for himself. And it's directed by a fellow by the name of Michael Wilson. And you may say, Michael Moore hates America. That's an incredibly incendiary title. Well, actually, the title is not the thesis. Mm. Um, in fact, the title is a satiric comment on the shrillness of political discourse <laughs> coming from both sides oh, of God. the aisle. Oh, God. Uh, so Michael Wilson in this movie kind of does the Michael Moore move on Michael Moore, where he s spends the movie trying to get an interview with Michael Moore, mm -hmm. not unlike Roger Smith. But, you know, would you believe it? Uh uh, a fancy-pants Hollywood liberal like Michael Moore just does, doesn't have time to meet with a salt-of-the-earth yeah. man on, of the people. On the, uh, on the weekend where the most successful documentary of all time opened, and Michael Moore was inundated with requests for interviews by literally the largest media organizations in the world, would you believe it? He didn't have time to speak to this nobody filmmaker wandering around the country with a handheld camera. Michael Moore was checking his... Typical e champagne liberalism. He was checking his inbox and, <clears throat> he, and he said, boy, I got an interview request for a man making a film called Michael Moore Hates America. You know, can I find time to be in that <laughs> film? <laughs> I guess I just can't. <laughs> of course, uh, he does get his, his interview, as it were, as we see earlier in the film, uh, because he's at some Michael Moore event and stands up in the Q&A and is like, I'm making a film called Michael Moore Hates America, and then is humiliated in front of... Michael Moore, uh, I think quite reasonably, says, uh, I'm offended by that statement. Yeah. That's an untrue statement. Mm -hmm. And then he says, in fact, it's people like you that hate America. <laughs> Which um, <clears throat> is not the most graceful thing that he could have said. But then again, uh, the man did just say he was making a documentary called <laughs> Michael Moore Hates America. So you can forgive Michael Moore for being upset about that. Yeah. So this is kind of a weird, weird film because I mean, Will was sort of joking before, but about about how this is a you know a critique of shrillness or whatever. But it's kind of like it's got all these conservative talking heads in it. It's got Andrew Breitbart. It's got a very brief and sort of boilerplate interview with Dinesh D'Souza, which they, is such a treat. He, he Michael Wilson seems to have ambushed Dinesh D'Souza in the lobby of a hotel, presumably where some sort of convention was happening. And it's unclear what question he's asked, except that it's just like, all right, Dinesh, like, America, go. go. Yeah, and, and Dinesh yeah. is like, well, America is is the only country where you can make your own destiny. It's the only, it's the only country where uh, the individual is pri is uh, prioritized over the collective. It is, it is the platonic form. <laughs> of a Dinesh D'Souza oh, answer. But so so they're in it. Stay tuned for our Dinesh D'Souza episode, by the way. So, so <laughs> some right-wing talking heads are in it, the usual suspects. Um, there are some, uh, I would say, more non-partisan types, like a Penn Gillette. Oh, God. Uh, in, well, he's, he's right-wing. 
Yeah, he's a, he's a libertarian, right? Luke. So he's right wing. Uh, Pendulette <laughs> basically serves the same function in this movie that Marilyn Manson served in Bowling for Columbine. Yeah, he's the he's the sagely, uh, yeah. you know, intellectual. And I I'm not sure when I've ever disliked someone more. <laughs> oh my god, it's it's brutal. We're gonna we're gonna play some clips for you guys so you can hear what he sounds like. But he's got this like broish certitude about everything he says and you just want to punch him in the goddamn face and he's he it's this broish certitude when he's saying things that are just like common knowledge just these truisms any, about any idiot on the street can be like listen when you cut in a documentary that's a lie and you've got to figure out a way to reconcile that with you know there's a there's a there's a part at the towards the end of the film where he's he's like He's talking about, he's like, in, in all cultures that I've studied, uh, <laughs> when you lie to people that are on your side, that's genuinely considered bad. And it reminded me of in The Master when uh, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman is saying, uh, you haven't seen the pyramids, but you know they exist for learned men have told you so. <laughs> like this stupid, pompous <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. bullshit. If you're trying to make a political case... Um, keeping yourself honest is doable. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to do a documentary, keeping yourself honest is, I think, impossible, but within certain, certain boundaries is doable. I mean, you have to quote people out of context. People aren't in this room with me. People didn't see me walk out from the kitchen. You're going to do some editing. Uh, you're going to do that. You're automatically lying. But you can kind of come in and do that kind of stuff. If you're going to do comedy, you can kind of stay sort of kind of honest. You start mixing those three together, it just becomes, you know, three-dimensional chess, you know, underwater with a gun to your head. There, there are also some kind of like generic. I, I'm pretty sure there's this idiot like intellectual in this movie who I'm pretty sure was the same guy who was in Fahrenheit 911. Yeah, there's there's a generic bald like glasses wearing <laughs> white guy who's sitting in what looks like a kind of like, like maybe like if you had a psychiatrist that had their <laughs> office in like a strip mall. It would be like that. It reminds me of like before <laughs> porn movies could be porn movies and you and, and they had to be like medical study films and you would have like a generic doctor at the beginning who was like the the penis gets blood flow into it. So and the and vagina it, and it comes engorged yeah. and it has and it has some some caption under him that's like Dr. Seymour whatever. Yeah, like PhD. PhD. Yeah. And and th and this guy this guy in this movie is just like um well, I think what we see in Michael Moore is a narcissistic he's, he's, personality he's, disorder. It's like diagnosing Moore. where uh, where <laughs> Michael Moore cannot back winners. He's backed people like Wesley Clark. Jerry Brown, Ralph Nader, people who can't win because he can't take somebody who can be more powerful who can than be, him. be his rival. Which is, <laughs> such. A I dumb. think, the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the narcissist, the, the personality disorder is governed by an inner self-hate. I am inappropriate. I'm completely inappropriate. So, just the fact that I get to make movies is inappropriate. Which is covered by an enormous ego. I'm the biggest selling author in America. I've got the biggest selling watch documentary of all time. I've got 20 million hits a day on my website. How many more people do I need to convince? <laughs> Stop to think about self-hate. What does Michael Moore hate in this world? Himself. Wealthy, white, American males. 
I think the movie's most amazing interview subject is Albert Mazel's legendary documentary filmmaker, director of uh, Gimme Shelter, Gimme Shelter, Salesman, Grey Gardens, ton of legendary films. Who seems to have been hoodwinked into being in this movie because. I'm guessing Michael Wilson said, oh, we're making a movie about documentary ethics. Right. And so all of Albert Maisel's uh, interviews are about how uh, oh, Michael Moore is a deny- he's all about denying complexity. And that's very different from me as a filmmaker. And he strikes an odd note in, in this film because he's kind of the only person, aside from, I guess, Penn Jillette, mm. who really talks about documentary ethics. Yeah, and the interview's weird, just like the body language in it's weird because they're sort of standing in the middle of his office. You get the sense that... Uh, Wilson kind of filmed maybe, you know, six minutes with this guy and used every drop of footage. And there's also a part where uh, the cameraman who's filming it says, hey, Mike, uh, why, don't, why don't you tell him the name of the documentary? And Michael Wilson sort of hems and haws and goes, um, um, well, well, you know, the title isn't really the thesis. It's kind of a comment. It's kind of a comment. Uh, it's called uh, Michael Moore Hates America. And Albert Maisel's kind of pauses and he goes... Oh, yeah, that's, good. that's a good title. If maybe, maybe, do, maybe he, he does. I hate. think he does, and if he does, that's the title. Yeah, yeah. Albert Maisel seems to kind of take it in the spirit of, well, that's showmanship, you know. You gotta. Yeah. Um. So let okay, let's talk a little bit. Just uh, there's so many things in this film. To just like I mean, there's a whole city to sack here. But, but, but let's let's actually talk about what the so let's, a little more about the film because what I was getting at before is the film is this kind of weird. Like I would say. In a weird, in a way that weirdly mirrors a Michael Moore film. Well, it's, it's like it's deliberately it's this, modeled after Michael yeah, Moore. Yeah, it's this pastiche of like, on the one hand, you know, it's got all these conservative talking heads and stuff. On the other hand, it's kind of like the great thing about America is that we can we can disagree and and like you know, it's just the extremists, it's the shrill people that on you know, both sides, on both sides or whatever who divide us, and so it kind of like. Uh, it kind of talks out of uh, both sides of its mouth. And then, so that's one strain of the movie. Mm-hmm. Another strain of the movie is the uh, documentary ethics angle. So yeah. we see Mike Wilson going around talking to like the 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 bank from Bowling for Columbine that gives him the gun, or that gives that gives Michael Moore the yeah, gun. or yeah. or that fucking veteran from Fahrenheit 9/11 who, who just like who will free us from this turbulent priest? He <laughs> just he just won't go away. <laughs> Every goddamn movie's gonna have a cameo so, in American Carol next. So, yeah, this guy uh, who was in Fahrenheit 9/11 complaining that uh, this is the guy who lost his limbs in the war and uh, was complaining that news footage of him was used out of context. He was apparently on the circuit of these right wing documentaries at the time. Oh my god! So the docu- there's the documentary ethics strain. There's the uh, well. There's the strain where Michael Wilson is deeply insecure about his own film and yeah. keeps appearing on camera to be like, like he's he understands. I guess he watches Moore's films and he understands that like, you know, this is a thing. Filmmakers appearing on their own film and kind of speaking about them in this kind of meta way, self-effacing. Except yeah. he hasn't picked up on what's rhetorically useful about that. So there's just all these scenes where he's wandering around, mm-hmm. like with his cameraman for no and talking to people like. Do you, do you know Michael Moore? And they're like, no, who's that? And then for some reason that's in the film. And I guess the third strain is just this idea that uh, Michael Moore is wrong about America. And in fact, there's a lot of goodness in America. And uh, even even in Flint, look at all these great small businesses who are thriving. And mm. in fact, the American dream is, is in our hands if we want to reach for it. And Michael Moore is just distracting us from that. Right. So this is a criticism. Uh, I mean, I guess you find it all over the right. But it's the idea that, that certain kinds of dissent like they they should they just shouldn't exist because they like basically if you if 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 somewhere's poor and you complain it's poor 
you're you're like doing violence to it because really, you're, you're you're stamping out the American dream and you're discouraging <clears throat> any progress in that area. So if, yeah. if if Michael Moore says Flint is the poorest city in America, he's stifling the dreams of people there who might in fact try mm. to try to reach for something greater. And right. So this is a this is a this is a political epistemology that says regardless of whether something is true, you still shouldn't say it. And I have to say I have a particular like visceral hatred of it like because it's i cannot think of anything more anti-intellectual than or like more just like dogmatic than just saying like well even if something's empirically true we're not going to allow it to complicate the picture because that somehow like does violence to this like wider narrative we have i mean it's just it's just so annoying so we see a couple of people uh michael wilson goes to flint michigan uh and we see a couple of people in flint michigan one of whom is a uh poor black woman Mm -hmm. uh who he's interviewing at her house who basically says talks about how poor the area is and but uh the great thing about america is you can make it right um and what I think is interesting about that is she doesn't seem to say you can make it as in you can achieve the American dream. You too can be the next Donald Trump right. if you work hard enough. Right. What she means is uh, if you work hard enough, you can get food on your table, It's which yeah. I think is an incredibly depressing sentiment. Yeah. And there's I mean, that is the thing about the kind of bootstrap line, as we so often hear it, is that is actually in effect what's being right. said. Uh, so we see her. We see a guy who works in fast food at a sandwich shop. Oh, I love that. I don't. Scene. I don't think he's even the manager of the shop. He he works there. And he says, "I've and got, he's got four, four children." Kids. Um, and there's a really bizarre sequence in it. We see him. So the camera's behind the counter at this fast food restaurant with a crucifix above the counter, and he's kind of serving somebody who you don't really see. They're kind of off camera, but they're obviously complaining about like, you know, their chili dog or whatever. Mm. And then um, the guy's like, oh, sorry, like, uh, trying to do, you know, trying to do the best for you or whatever. Have a nice day. Sorry about that. Well, actually, he kind of blows up at him for a little bit. He's like, listen, do you want your sandwich? Okay, I obviously, obviously missed that. Uh, I was, I was just too consumed with the uh, sublime beauty of America. (laughs) But anyway, so then, then suddenly, like, the whole mood changes and they're like, call the cops. And the... The, uh, the person has like smashed the window and then and then like ran ran away and this turns into this whole narrative about he starts talking about I mean it really is extraordinary when you think yeah. about it he's like starts talking about how you know this is just a bump you know on the road just like in life but unlike in other countries in America we 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 look onwards and upwards we just we just move on and it's like and it makes me wonder what are these other countries you're talking about like <laughs> it's just like ex- like iraq that got the shit bombed out of <laughs> it or or canada <laughs> it's such an extraordinary statement to make about such a banal incident and yeah. i feel like sort of like michael moore this filmmaker loves to just like torque these these like really banal things around his uh his preferred narrative it's just kind of and we also see another group of uh, kind of young liberals who one of whom used to be in new york but moved back to flint to start uh, an alt weekly i think yeah and he's talking about how uh you know in a situation like flint you can do one of one of three things you can leave you can try to make ding it, ding ding. You can try. Yeah. <laughs> you can try to make it better. That was uncalled for. <laughs> or you can shut up. <laughs> and we're trying to make it better. So he's trying to make it better by starting this alt weekly. And we see another guy who tries to start a coffee shop in Flint. Yeah. And I'm thinking about that scene in Roger and Me when the GM PR guy is talking Ugh. about the lint roller business. Oh God. And Michael Moore says, "Come on." Do lint- you think lint rollers are going to replace like fifty thousand auto jobs? Right. Or- 
And also, I mean, Michael Wilson says something along the lines of, this guy, instead of whining about Flint, decided to do something. <laughs> and I think what we're meant to think is, well, Michael Moore is the one whining about Flint. Yeah. But really, Michael Moore made an incredibly successful yeah. documentary to call attention to Flint. The only reason any of us knows about Flint, the only reason Will asked his parents to pull over oh, God. <laughs> way back in the day. Not all heroes wear shapes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was because of Roger and me. Yeah. And okay, and here's like the great irony of a lot of this stuff is that Michael Moore is somebody who, if anybody like matches the right wing bootstrap narrative that these people love to pontificate about, it's Michael Moore. This is a guy, this is a Midwesterner, plain spoken Midwesterner guy who, you know, was part of like some local newspaper in, in Michigan. Mm-hmm. You know, became the editor of Mother Jones, became a hugely successful documentary filmmaker, and made a ton of money on it. Right. Well, that's kind of their point, though, isn't it? Like the fact that, uh, well, Michael Moore complains about capitalism, but in fact, capitalism has worked for him. Mike dropped. I guess so, but it's just so, like... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's dumb. Uh, also, well, it's obviously dumb. and just just <laughs> wrapping up the Flint segment of this film, which is just such a rich uh, ten minute stretch. Uh, Michael Wilson talks about how uh, there were some tax breaks on the citizens of Flint, which led to some, I guess, some houses being built. Uh, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but but Michael Wilson says something along the lines of. I bet you thought tax breaks were only benefiting the rich. <laughs> well, here's a gardener who... So he this is an amazing secret where he interviews this like, guy who's obviously a gardener in front of some new sort of suburban homes that have built, yeah. been built. And it's like, clearly this guy hasn't benefited. It's like he's not yeah. even a resident of the home. But also, it's like... Like, nobody on the left is against tax breaks for, for like, the working class yeah. or poor people. I, I know of nobody who's, like, who's like I mean, except for, like, uh, except, I mean, I guess people that are in favor of, like, uh, sales taxes and stuff going up. But it's, like, there's nobody going out there being, like, let's raise income taxes on, like, <laughs> the 99% or whatever. But, okay, but what's amazing also, if that's the same part of the film, it cuts to, for no particular reason, like, this gated community. Oh, my God. Can we talk about that? Because, holy shit. Okay, this actually may be my favorite scene of the film. Yeah, me too. Because Michael Wilson (laughs) says that in Bowling for Columbine, Michael Moore implies that white people fled to the suburbs in gated communities to get away from black people. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) I decided to go to a gated community and find out. So he goes to some random gated community, and he's like, Look, here's like a Hispanic person, and here's a black person, and they're all and having just, a barbecue. It's just some barbecue. It's like, and uh, what does the late the lady say? There's like <laughs> this lady who's making this uh, this cake that looks like the American flag, right? And she says something like, she says, uh, I know that Michael Moore lives in a completely different world than I live in. In my world, everyone is gets along, they're happy, they love one another. In his world, it's not that way. And I understand that he does that. He lives in that world. And that's fine. I don't fault him for that. It's when he insists that we see our world like he sees his. Yes, in my extremely bougie gated community where I've segmented myself from society. Yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> it's just an incredibly telling statement, isn't it's, it? It's it's like a the, the, it's this it's this part of the film which like unintentionally is like really revealing about America's class divides that like you know, sure, you can have like a, you can have like a, a rainbow colored like plutocracy. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like, who... but but Michael Wilson is right that if you go to a gated community with two hundred people in it, you you may find a black family. Yeah, 
and that, and therefore, like, uh, we, you know, he doesn't see race. I mean, Mike, then, Michael Wilson is kind of as fast and loose with, uh, you know, statistics as Michael Moore is. I mean, mm-hmm. he, like Michael Moore, he uses anecdotal evidence when it suits him. Yeah, so there's one scene where he, um, basically, the, the implication is, you know, Michael Moore says there's all this dissent and discontent and unhappiness in America. You know, so I went to, like, the White House lawn, and guess what? <laughs> oh, my God. There's so much in this film. There's like, only three protesters, and he's like, and there are people playing ball hockey, and, and then... They, and how cool is that? How cool is that? And there's, he interviews some guys, like, you know, uh, you know, I don't think Michael Moore gets America. I mean, we're playing ball hockey. Could they do that in France? I don't think they could. You know, this is what our freedom means. And, whatever. you know, like, is, is it that great? Yeah, I mean, they don't they don't have, like, a working welfare state, but what they do have is, it's like... The ability to play ball hockey <laughs> once a week in front of the White House. Uh, but Michael Wilson seems seems to say, well, if there's really so much protest, <laughs> surely the White House it's will like, have nonstop like, protests in front of it. It's like saying, it's like, saying like you know... I'm not hungry right now, so therefore, like, world famine is a myth or something. Yeah. Like, it's, it's insane. Like, maybe if he'd gone, maybe if he'd gone to Washington, it's not. That... It's not raining where I am, so global warming is a liberal conspiracy. Yeah, maybe if he'd yeah. gone to Washington <laughs> on that day when there was the massive anti-war protest before the Iraq War, the one that was dem- you know, that was advertised and and scheduled, the one that had like a hundred thousand people and was a huge, <laughs> yeah, huge but, protest. but no, there will not for twenty four seven be a large protest outside the White House. So, getting back to the documentary ethics strand of the film, th- there is a there's a scene where Michael Wilson goes to Davison, Michigan, which Michael is, Moore's real birthplace, right? Which is, I guess, you know, twenty miles away from Flint or whatever. You know, big deal. It's like Etobicoke yeah. in relation to downtown Toronto, right. and he goes under false pretenses, saying that oh, we're going to make a documentary about like small, small town, town America. America, yeah, and talking to the mayor i think of davison and he says oh well in fact uh, the documentary filmmaker michael moore is from here and michael wilson goes huh that's oh, really neat. interesting yeah. and then it cuts to michael wilson and his dop in the car and the guy saying man we, we we're no better than michael moore we just <laughs> we just lied and misrepresented <laughs> it, ourselves it's wrong. <laughs> uh, and so of course michael wilson uh, being a hero, uh, sends the mayor of Davison uh, a letter explaining... I owe you an apology, sir. The, the thing is, though, like, this stuff with documentary ethics, I do think Michael Wilson... So, something that makes this movie somewhat tolerable is, mm-hmm. I think Michael Wilson is genuinely sincere about this documentary ethics strain, mm-hmm. and he wants to... Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's a bit disingenuous about other... Yeah. <laughs> everything else in the film, but the documentary ethics thing, I think he does genuinely struggle with, and he is interested in this. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, I think he... Um... This guy, like, he does strike you, you know, you see him on camera, you hear his voiceover and stuff. He actually does seem really earnest. And, and he, he is a genuine, I think, outsider artist. Yeah. Like, he's... He's obviously not a real filmmaker. He's never... There's a scene where he was on uh, MSNBC or something. Joe Scarborough. Joe Scarborough. And he's actually so nervous that he can't even, mm-hmm. like, get a sentence out. Um, you know, he really is just an average guy who made a film. And I guess, you know, there is something to be said for that. Yeah, you know, American Dream, whatever. Uh, there's a scene... <laughs> Everyone, you know, can... Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and the ability to make a film that has, like, you know, 300 likes and 500 dislikes <laughs> on, on YouTube. Oh, yeah, we watched uh, we watched this movie on YouTube where, as you said, movies like this go to die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, late in the film, again, on the opening weekend of Fahrenheit 9-11, Michael Wilson is wandering around uh, New York trying to find Michael Moore, and he says, one of my... Top secret sources came through. We found the address of Michael Moore's production company, Dog Eat Dog Films. 
And then we see him in front of a post office where he says, uh, turns out the address is just a post office box. And I want to say, why are you filming this? Like, why are you putting this in the right. movie? I mean, it, stop, stop showcasing your own incompetence, like your own inability to look in the local yellow pages. Right. Like, you're like, a little bird told me the top secret location yeah. of like, of, of this like major film company. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, li- like literally it's the post office box. Yeah. It's like anybody could find that. But, but the thing is, Michael Wilson has a... He has an ingenious trap for Michael Moore. Uh, t- tell us what it is, Will. Uh, he so remember that this is the Sunday that Fahrenheit 9/11 came out, and oh, and by the way, this is after to he's tried to find him. This is after he he's like, we knew that he had a cottage down by the shore. Oh my god! <laughs> and, scene and where... we decided to pay him a visit. Yeah. And then they're like, well, we couldn't find like where he lived. Yeah. We, by just randomly driving around this vast area where we are vaguely yeah. heard he might have a cottage, like well, we expected to find. Like, did they think there'd be like a, a, a mailbox with Michael Moore in big letters and lights, or so that they it, might find a portly documentarian walking down the street, just lumbering down the street? No, and then so they leave a little. They you know they leave this little card at the post office, being like, "Hey, Michael, sorry we missed you," because as we all know, we all just randomly go into our post offices in yeah. the 21st century and say like like hey are there any cards for me yeah uh, there, there's a definite kind of like a rupert pupkin vibe to, oh my to God. M- michael wilson in a lot of this film <laughs> okay so so he lays a cunning trap uh w- right what what is the trap i he he buys him a bouquet and uh, he, he realizes that uh it, that that somebody is gonna have to come and pick up the flowers and that's how he's gonna get them right so, so like because if he leaves something there Someone from the production company is going to have to show right. up, and possibly Michael Moore himself. Yeah, but obviously not. But obviously not. Michael Moore the, probably has a secretary. It's and it's also because it's literally the opening week of the most successful documentary of all time. Right. So the the trap wasn't that cunning, but right. <laughs> uh, but in fact, but you know what? It didn't even matter that he didn't get to meet Michael Moore because really. On this journey, he saw a different side of America, a side of America that, that you might not find in, in the mainstream media. And you know what? It can be fun to listen to the pundits, and and uh, it can be fun to listen to guys like Michael Moore, but at the end of the day... Or coastal elites like you and me. They divide and, instead of uniting us, and we have to get back to our real values. I left New York without ever talking to Michael Moore, but I realized I didn't need him to find the answers to my questions. I just needed to know that things weren't as bad as he made them out to be. All the people I met proved that he doesn't have all the answers. In fact, the more I talked to the everyday people that Mike says he represents, the more I realized that he never really offers any solutions. I think people just expect it bottled. Like, you go to Meyer, grab a can of American Dream, suck it down and live happily ever after. And while it's fun to listen to the pundits, the talk show hosts, the entertainers, throwing their opinions around, getting people all worked up, at the end of the day, it's our own individual opinions and choices that determine who we become and what lives we lead. And by the way, he talks about the pundits, but if it's a pundit like Andrew Breitbart or Dinesh D'Souza, well then, you oh, know. Oh man, Bright- this is the only time I think I've ever heard Breitbart talk was in this film. What a piece of shit. What a just stinking <laughs> piece of shit. I mean, holy God. Dreadful guy. Um, what, what's one of the things he says? Uh, I mean, he sort of just, I mean, he calls Michael Moore a freak at one point. He just sort of rambles off on these kind of generic platitudes i don't think there's even any comment on necessary on anything he actually says because he's just but he's just loathsome he's just a loathsome presence uh one of the key scenes of the film that we didn't really get into was 
uh, earlier in the film during that confrontation between Michael Wilson and Michael Moore at the book signing. Right. Um, where Michael Wilson, where Michael Moore is rightly offended at the title of Michael Wilson's documentary. Uh, we see Michael Wilson kind of amble out of the building looking dejected, but then four or five Michael Moore fans come up to him and say, Hey man, you know, I think it, I think you showed a lot of, showed a lot of courage in there. And you know what? I may not, I may not agree with what you say, but I'm a veteran. I fought for your right to do this. And, uh, and you know what? Michael Moore should give you an interview. And then Michael Wilson says on the soundtrack, something like, uh, you know, outside of, outside of that hall, I realize we may have our differences, but, but here we were exchanging ideas like real Americans. So just like in a Michael Moore film, you know, what, what should be kind of an ideological critique just collapses into this, these bipartisan pieties that wouldn't be that like you could easily hear from any like empty beltway suit (laughs) yeah yeah i the the movie you know summing it up it's it's a stupid right-wing documentary (laughs) that has pretensions of being nonpartisan. and what i also think is amazing about this movie was that i said it last week ebert and roper gave this movie two thumbs up wow i think they just want to do this guy a favor because he seems like a nice guy or maybe they wanted to like send a message to michael moore well because they didn't like fair no they did they gave that two thumbs up oh really yeah so i I don't know i remember i remember watching the review when it aired and uh roger ebert saying it's kind of a sweet film it's not really angry it is kind of a sweet film but in like a way that's totally ineffective so my guess is they probably got this screener and it was like michael moore hates america oh this let's have a laugh yeah yeah, yes and then they they were like oh "Oh, it's not it's not that bad yeah I, i think like i guess like my only other comment on this movie is that i think i said something like this last week when we watched like fahrenheit 9 11 is that I don't know, this this particular right-wing aesthetic, and, you know, we definitely are seeing it, what we've watched so far of the RNC definitely has this too. It's, like, this weird combination of this, like, chest-beating, like, nationalism, this constant affirmation of just America's utmost moral exceptionalism and all this kind of stuff, but then there's this, like, twee sentimentality running mm. through it as well. So, like... We just heard the guy from Duck Dynasty, uh, you know, he was the first speaker tonight at the RNC. We heard a whole bunch of speakers. We, we heard the prayer at the beginning, oh, yeah. which, as you said, it looks like a kind of fascist Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the prayer is, it was, yeah, it's really, it's like so treacly and earnest. And it's and like the it's leading up to this really violent, like militaristic thing. And there's people all around the stage with like, axes and there's this whole martial Mm. atmosphere to it and i think the clash between those two things which we saw in last week's film and to some extent in this one uh and at the rnc i I mean i don't know what else there is to say about it except that it's just otherworldly to me it's so peculiar and that's all i gotta say next week we're doing one more of these films manufacturing dissent by it's a canadian film and the makers of it were liberals Mm -hmm. who were disappointed by michael moore so you know we'll see i I remember i saw this uh at the time i remember that noam chomsky your favorite is in it (laughs) and i also remember that it goes over some of the same ground as these other two about you know the factual errors in Mm -hmm. his films which i'm getting a little get a little tired of at this point yeah, although... I can recite them all by heart. Yeah, it's like... I mean, although, like, some of them are... Like, I mean, I don't they know... Are, they, some of them are very legitimate. Yeah. I, I guess just... Yeah, one one more thing we could say is that a lot of these things, you know, Michael Moore creates vulnerabilities that don't need to be there, like, um, by stylizing 
you know, like this movie complains about his, you know, the scene where he gets the gun in the bank. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, why did you need to stylize that? Surely the point that, I mean, I guess it makes it, it looks, you know, ridiculous. Mm -hmm. He makes it look like he just went into a bank and got a gun. The fact is, it is ridiculous that there's a bank account where you can get a free gun when you mm-hmm. sign. Like, e- even if you don't get it at the bank. Yeah, like that should just be enough. Or, you know, um, we we get an interview with an NRA spokesperson who talks about how, well, the footage of Charlton Heston giving a speech, which Michael Moore implies is in Denver 10 days after Colorado, actually it's it's mixed up and we have some footage from another speech and he cuts out a few things so there, there's an image of Charlton Heston, you know, raising a gun saying, from my cold, dead hands, which actually comes from their AGM six months later. Right. And it's like, and it's like, you know, oh, but, you know, he's got it all wrong. Like, uh, you know, this like uh, bloodthirsty, like gun toting thing. That was at our AGM. That wasn't yeah. like in like, call. it's like, sh- okay, but like surely, sh- yeah. <laughs> surely if you want to indict the NRA, that's enough. Yeah. You know, it's like, don't make stuff up. <laughs> but yeah, next week, Manufacturing Descent. Uh, and then onwards to An American Carol. No, we're, we're going to watch Sicko after that. Why Why are we going to watch Sicko after that? Chronologically. I want to watch An American Carol. Oh, but like we've been so long without an actual Michael Moore film. We got to watch Sicko. <laughs> okay, well, we'll, we'll I, I think uh, I think I'm going to capitulate, but we'll officially resolve this uh, <laughs> off mic. Thanks for listening, folks. It was fun. Lots more R&C uh, like glee to look forward to this week we'll talk about it next week uh i was luke savage i was will sloan see you next time where were you when the world stopped turning on that september day were you in the yard with your wife and children or working on some stage in l.a did you stand there in shock at the sight of that black smoke Rising against that blue sky Did you shout out in anger and fear for your neighbor Or did you just sit down and cry Did you weep for the children Who lost their dear loved ones Pray for the ones who don't know Did you rejoice for the people Who walked from the rubble And sobbed for the ones left Did you burst out with pride for the red, white, and blue And the heroes who died just doing what they do Did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer And look at yourself and what really matters I'm just a singer of simple songs I'm not a real political man I watch CNN But I'm not sure I can tell you The difference in Iraq and Iran But I know Jesus and I talk to God And I remember this from when I was young Faith, hope, and love are some good things He gave us And the greatest is love Where were you when the world stopped turning? That September day Teaching a class full of innocent children Or driving down some cold interstate Did you feel guilty cause you're a survivor In a crowded room did you feel alone Did you call up your mother and 
tell her you loved her Did you dust off that Bible at home? Did you open your eyes and hope it never happened? Close your eyes and not go to sleep Did you notice the sunset the first time in ages Speak to some stranger on the street? Did you lay down at night Think of tomorrow Go out and buy you a gun Did you turn off that violent old movie you're watching And turn on I Love Lucy reruns Did you go to a church and hold hands with some strangers Stand in line and give your own blood Did you just stay home and cling tight to your family Thank God you had somebody to love singer of simple songs I'm not a real political man I watch CNN but I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and Iran but I know Jesus and I've talked to God and I remember this from when I was young faith, hope and love are some good things he gave us And the greatest is love I'm just a singer of simple songs I'm not a real political man I watch CNN But I'm not sure I can tell you The difference in Iraq and Iran But I know Jesus and I talk to God And I remember this from when I was young Faith, hope, and love are some good things He gave us And the greatest is love And the greatest is love And the greatest is love Where were you when the world stopped turning On that September day?